Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 9 of the Cody Krim and Calvet podcast. This episode is all about parasites. Parasites and cows. Because I, I, I don't remember anything about parasites and pigs or parakeets or anything else. Okay, a little update on the practice. So, since we last spoke, I was on call for the weekend, took the family out. Oh, you guys should have seen this uh, spectacular double prolapse that we put in today. I say we because the family came out on the road with me. So, we did some postmortems and then uh, got called out to this feedlot cow. She had a tear in her rectal prolapse, about six inches long, and then also had a very nice vaginal prolapse. So, I elected to do a rectal amputation uh, whereby I give her an epidural so she doesn't have any feeling and then I place a tube up into her rectum and I secure it with umbilical tape and a calicrate band so like a big heavy duty rubber band uh, that cuts off the blood supply and she gets a new bum in about two days like it works phenomenally fast uh, you just have that that pvc pipe that's in there with the tube uh, that acts as her butt for the time being she can poop through that tube and then the calicrate band cuts off the blood supply the two layers of mucosa and submucosa they would heal together and everything kind of drops off the nasty prolapse part and the tube and the band and then she just has a new butt it's magic and the vaginal prolapse once i got that epidural into her there was no issue it was nice fresh pushed it in put her on antibiotics for a couple of days and uh, also an anti-inflammatory and she's gonna stay in hospital so yeah just on call for the rest of this week I will be doing the, an advanced beef cattle rotation at our practice. So we have three veterinary students coming through and we're doing this like intensive beef cattle rotation where they're not so much going out on call, just kind of following us around. We have lectures booked, tours booked, a whole bunch of different things booked for them. Uh, it's going to be pretty exciting and uh, very intense for the students, but they should come out uh, better cattle veterinarians on the other sides. So types of things that we're doing i'm giving them like an advanced reproduction uh, talk i'm going to be talking to them about implants we're going to talk to them about vaccines so they'll be able to put together a proper vaccine protocol we're taking them to different ranches to talk about grazing management we're taking them to feedlots and to talk about risk management and how feedlots make their money uh, it's just a very kind of whirlwind and that that's like only like a quarter of the stuff that we're going to do that's just stuff I remember. I think I'm giving them like a an afternoon on dart guns. So I'm, we're going to go out and shoot some dart guns too. On Thursday, I'm going to fly out to Boston. That's uh, the New Harvest Conference. This is the cultured uh, meat or cellular agriculture conference that I'll be attending and speaking at. So I'm pretty excited about that. Off to Boston in a couple days. Uh, probably have some... Uh, thought-provoking podcasts while I'm in Boston. Hope so. Okay, this uh, this parasite 
podcast, too many P's. This Parasite podcast is pertinent uh, for cattle out on pasture, all the P's. We are, what are we, like mid-July, so we're about six weeks post-pasture turnout. If you had a June 1st pasture turnout, which is pretty typical for up here, of course, down in the U.S., you guys have had cattle out on pasture for a lot longer. But, yeah, we still have snow in May, so we don't really turn our cattle out until then. Some guys have turned their cattle out a little longer, but it's kind of five to six-week post-pasture turnout is the ideal time for us to start talking about uh, integrative, integrated, integrated, parasite management uh, solutions or options, treatment options, uh, surveillance, all of those types of things. So I've been pretty passionate about summer parasites ever since we started, or I started in practice, and we started doing some research. So one of the first trials that we did uh, within our practice revolving around parasites was a feedlot trial. So what we did is we had these yearling grass cattle coming in off of pasture and we took a poop sample and we split them into two treatment groups and we tested the the poop sample. In treatment group number one, they got poron ivermectin. So that's a very typical uh, deworming product, uh, a poron product that kills uh, external and internal parasites. And then we did a combination therapy with uh, with Ivamec with Safeguard on top of that. So Safeguard is an orally administered uh, anti-parasite uh, drug, but has no external parasite properties. So you can't use it for lice or for scabies or anything like that. Uh, it was quite interesting. So I guess one of the first inferences that we made was... Uh, these these yearling cattle we knew where they were coming from we knew a whole bunch of different pastures they were coming from and they were spread all across alberta and saskatchewan and there was no rhyme or reason to their parasite burden to their infection intensity in some cases where the geography seemed like it was going to be favorable for low parasites um, very dry arid years sometimes parasites were high sometimes they were low sometimes in the very wet environments or the historically high parasite burden environments sometimes the parasite levels were low sometimes they were high so we couldn't make any sort of inferences based off of where these cattle were coming from and and make any treatment recommendations based off of geography the second kind of most interesting thing that we determined was how effective the poron ivamec was on arrival, on arrival into the feed yard. So 15 days after treatment, after treatment with either the Fembendazole, the Safeguard, and the Ivamec or the Ivamec alone, we went back and we did a pen level uh, fecal egg count reduction test. So that's where you take feces and uh, from a variety of different animals so fresh feces off the pen floor you send that for fecal analysis they'll take either a three gram sample or a five gram sample and then they will do uh, an analysis on how many eggs that they can count so different sensitivities and specificities depending on which test you use Uh, i think in this case we used a modified wisconsin there's a variety of other ones that that can be used as well depending on your geography or you know what you've been trained on or what your local lab will will use and we determined that the the pens that were treated just with ivamec uh, they had a 70 percent reduction in their their fecal eggs so the total fecal eggs 70 percent 
And when it came to the IVMEC plus safeguard groups, it was 100%, 100% reduction. So where we found one egg pre-treatment, we would find no eggs post-treatment. Or if we found 100 eggs pre-treatment, we would find no eggs post-treatment. Whereas in the, the IVMEC alone group, if a, if a pen had 100 eggs per 5-gram sample, I keep saying gram, 5-gram sample, then uh, we would we would see 30 eggs left over. So it wouldn't wipe them out. And it, it, we never really figured out why that exactly was. We could just make inferences based off of the conversations we had with uh, some of the parasitologists at the University of Calgary. So what was implied was there could be potential resistance. So the Ivamec family, the Ivamec products have been used in Western Canada for several decades, uh, somewhat, I don't want to say indiscriminately, but liberally. Uh, a lot of cattles, a lot of cattle at the end of the, the fall, uh, when they come in to get preg tested, they're going to get a pour on Ivamec, whether or not they need it. And then also, if they have a lice outbreak throughout the year, they're probably going to get another dose. Uh, cattle on arrival into the feed yards, they all get Ivamec. Uh, a lot of times, they'll also get Ivamec for lice control a little bit later on. Uh, branding time, sometimes they see producers... Prov- uh, give a shot of Ivamec to calves uh, before they go out onto grass. Uh, cows, at times, when uh, when producers are are giving a pre-breeding vaccine before they go to gas, grass, they're giving uh, some Ivamec as well. So, the, that indiscriminate or liberal usage certainly could potentially confer some resistance. The other likelihood is is just in terms of dose and application. So it's not so much that there's resistance. It's just did did those animals get a high enough dose? Were they being underdosed? Were they being uh, they're having their ivermectin applied on the a spot improperly? Uh, the proper technique is to apply it from withers to tailhead. So that certainly could be an issue. There's also been some speculation that depending on what the ambient temperature is outside, that the animal's skin could have a variety of levels of of absorptive capacity. So at minus 30, when we have vasoconstriction of the surface of the skin, because that animal is trying to keep its core body temperature uh, elevated, uh, perhaps when we provide uh, a pore on ivermectin onto that vasoconstricted skin, then maybe that absorption just isn't there. As opposed to if it was 10 degrees Celsius and you were providing a pour on, uh, relying on that skin absorption, uh, there would be less vasoconstriction and those animals would absorb the, the Ivamec at the appropriate dosage. So that that was kind of all we figured out from that trial. What we were, I guess, scientists should never hope to see, but what we were what we were expecting to maybe see was an increase in gains and an increase in carcass characteristics and uh, improvement in feed efficiency in animals that were given the uh, the fembendazole in combination with ivamec versus ivamec alone. 
Oh, we saw numerical trends for sure in this group of animals, but we did not see a difference in terms of an economic benefit, a net economic benefit, although we were close. It just wasn't statistically significant. So my kind of biggest take home from that research was, you know, there, we, we kind of know this rule of, of 20% of animals within a pen have 80% of the parasites. The problem is, is on arrival, we don't know which 20% of those animals are. We just know uh, that this is a group. So in an ideal situation, we'd be able to test animals real time as they're coming into a shoot system and be able to uh, discriminate between each animal based off of their fecal egg count. So animals that have a high fecal egg count, then they could get this multimodal therapy of, of Ivamec plus Fenbendazole. And animals that had a, a low parasite burden, then they would just either get nothing or, or Ivamec. And then at that point, I think we could have a net economic benefit. I think the the next thing that we did was we kind of took all that information and we wanted to apply it to cow calf. We didn't know what the parasite burden was with uh, within our our herds uh, around our practice, and now we had gotten very used to getting this information, and we really liked to see what type of pens, what type of pastures had different parasite burdens. So we decided to then spend the next three years. Uh, going out and testing a whole bunch of our clients' cows' feces. I almost said our clients' feces. That would be super weird. A whole bunch of our cows' clients, a whole bunch of our clients' cows' feces to see what their parasite burden was. So I hired a summer student every year, and their job was to just drive out to a whole bunch of our different ranchers' places at that kind of five weeks post-pasture turnout and have them collect feces. I would get them to collect 20 uh, fresh samples from every pasture that the producer wanted. So let's say he had two pastures or three pastures close to home that he wanted to test. My little summer student would just go out there, collect the feces for free, and we would bring it back to the clinic and we would label it and we would send individual fecal samples off to a lab and we would get a, a number. We would get the individual fecal egg count for each individual and then we would take a mean of that uh, result and we would be able to tell our producers if they had a low, moderate, or high parasite burden and then we were able to make recommendations based off of of um, that result on if they should do anything on pasture for treatment. So the treatment options out on pasture, because those animals, we're not going to handle them once they're out on pasture. If they have a high parasite burden, running them through a shoot system and administering an oral or a poron drug is not really uh, a viable option. So we have to rely on things that we can do out on pasture. Now, I guess kind of the, the simplest thing that I've been able to come up with is, is the use of fenbendazole, the use of a, an, an oral uh, medication that comes in the form of a premix. So it's not in a liquid, it's actually in a powder that is used for cattle. Uh, when they come into the feed yard, you can add it as a premix or in a mash, and that gets put in the cattle's ration, and then we have the ability to treat those animals. So the, the dosage, typically, 
we could feed it over one day. Um, in my practice, we like to split it up over six days. So I calculate the dosage for an individual animal and I give that to them over a six day period. So uh, the dosage on femmedazole is five mg per keg. So I just do some quick math and I'm able to figure out how much of this premix based on its concentration those animals are supposed to get. So there's a few different ways that we can do it. We can feed it out. Now, you don't want to feed the raw product because it's, it's, too, it's too concentrated for us to effectively just kind of like put it out in tubs for animals to, to just randomly find. So what we do is we mix it in mineral. Uh, cows out on pasture, typically you're getting free choice mineral. So there's 25 kilogram bags that producers will buy and a cow will usually eat between 100 and 120 grams per head per day. So we know how much uh, those cows are going to eat every single day and and my ranchers will take their little bags out and they'll fill up the tubs of mineral all summer long uh, to provide nutritional support for the animals. So what we do is we mix in that product, that that medication that deworms into the mineral. We actually at our practice have a uh, custom Vetegra Health mineral blend that we use in the summertime and in the wintertime. So most of our producers are just on our own kind of branded mineral product that, that we get made up. So let's say a producer wants to use our mineral uh, as part of his, his nutrition program, then he would just come in and pick up a bag or pick up a pallet or whatever size of operation he is. And that's our, that's our own branded product. But that also allows us to really be able to create custom mineral programs as well. We work with a great feed mill that, that helps us make this stuff. I'm not like in the back room with a bathtub mixing up mineral myself. So yeah, we, we use a feed mill and they're great. So in this case, when, when it's summertime, we get safeguard mineral that that's made up. So it's just a regular Vedic Health summertime mineral that has safeguard at the appropriate dosage mixed in it uh, that's dosed out for a 1700 pound cow calf unit because uh, the calves eat mineral too and that's kind of how I get my weight for my dosage at that five megs per keg and that allows me to feed at that rate of 120 grams per head per day of mineral with the medication in it over six days is an effective dose of safeguard is an effective dose of, of femmendazole so all my producer has to do is tell me how many cows that they have in each pasture. So let's say Joe has 100 cows out in pasture A that he wants to, to put on safeguard. Then what I do is I just calculate that 120 grams per day times six days. And that come, what is that, 740 or 20 times this number of cows so then that is times 100 cows is uh, 75 ish kilos uh, so he needs three bags over six days and the way that he would administer that for his 100 cows because now we have the dosage of three bags is he's just going to give that every other day so on day one he's going to go out and dump a bag of this mineral out cows are going to come up hopefully most of them are going to take a few mouthfuls get that 100 120 grams per head per day we know it's not perfect but it's the best that we can do and then a day goes by no mineral the next day puts out another bag next day comes by no mineral next day comes out he puts out another bag now those animals those 100 animals have got a uh 
an effective dose over six days, even if those animals don't eat at all within the six days, and let's say that last bag sits for seven days or 10 days or 14 days, we've been able to show through our research, which is not statistically significant, but anecdotally, that the the fecal egg count goes to near zero, even if the animals take longer than the six days for them to eat it. Now, they could just eat all that mineral in one day, like I said, but the chance of, you know, a big old bull coming up and eating a big proportion of that mineral on day one is pretty high. So we want to mitigate that risk. The other option out on pasture is actually a crumble. Uh, the crumble comes in these five gallon pails and it's like a cube, like a feed cube, like a range cube. And that has the, the active ingredient inside of it as well. It's a little bit more expensive if you looked at the range of things. So like the, the oral squirted in your mouth, Femmendazole, that one is, uh, the cheapest. And then the premix. So the premix in the, the mineral, uh, that one is the next most cheapest. And then the the range pellets, those ones are the most expensive. Now in the U.S., I know they have more options for uh, fenbendazole treatments. Uh, they have more like products that have fenbendazole in them. I think they even have like a mineral that's non-prescription. Uh, like in this case, when my producers are using my mineral with, uh, with Safeguard in it, I have to write a prescription every time. Uh, but there should be a label claim on that pretty soon. I heard a little birdie told me that they'll have a label claim on um, mineral in the near future. Um, the other option is guys that are also just feeding their own minerals. So let's say they really love Cargill emerald mineral and they don't want to feed my mineral, which is fine. They can go ahead and buy that premix and then mix that in themselves. The problem with mixing it in yourself is that getting that homogeneous mixture. Uh, so you're going to have your little pail of safeguard that's that's concentrated and you're going to know how much mineral. So let's say three of your own bags, you're going to have to mix a third of that premix in with one of your bags and get a very thorough mix in order for you to feel confident in uh in being able to feel confident that your safeguard is all the way mixed and that homogeneous mixture is going to be evenly distributed to the rest of your animals. Because usually what these guys do or what I tell them to do is however many tubs of mineral you usually put out for a pasture. So let's say you have 100 cows, so you have two tubs that you put out by your water troughs. They usually say double that. So then put out four tubs uh, just to, to increase the chance of that uh, consistent consumption through the majority of your animals. So that works. That works very well in terms of decreasing the, the overall fecal egg count, the overall infection intensity. The other reason that we like to time it for that time as opposed to doing it later as opposed to doing it earlier is it's also part of a pest management strategy or a parasite management strategy. So stay with me for a second. 
So these cows have been dewormed in the fall, and as time goes by in throughout the winter time, their parasite infection intensity decreases just because they have a natural immune system. So a cow that's infected in the fall that is not eating grass is not getting reinfected. So cattle cannot get reinfected by parasites in a dry lot pen, in a feed lot pen, in a pen where they're not eating grass, so a, a dirt floor pen, they cannot get reinfected with parasites. So if their fecal egg count was five in the fall after their Ivamec treatment, probably in the spring it could be zero, it could be one, or it could be two. It's probably not going to be five. So their their infection intensity is going to decrease over the winter time. Then those cattle go back out into pasture in the spring, and a couple things happen. So the they are shedding parasites, the ones that did not pass or clear all of the, the parasites uh, over the wintertime. So they're going to start shedding eggs out on pasture. But then they're also going to start picking up uh, the, the, the overwintered parasites. So the, the larvae that was able to overwinter from the fall to the spring, that all of those are out on pasture. So those cattle go through... Uh, with their very low infection intensity, so their low fecal egg count, and they start eating grass, and they start getting reinfected with the parasites that have overwintered. And as the four to five weeks goes by, they are eating up a lot of the parasites and kind of acting like a vacuum cleaner, right? So they're just eating and eating and eating parasites. But because their fecal egg count has been pretty low, they haven't been infecting the pasture too much. They certainly will to some extent, but they're not like they're not at the highest peak of of pasture contamination. That would be towards uh, later fall, when when they're getting close to being pulled off of pasture. They've been out on pasture all summer long, getting infected and infected, and their fecal egg count is going to be higher. So these cows have been acting as a vacuum cleaner out on pasture. They've been picking up this parasite larva, uh, but they have not been passing high amounts of eggs. Now, if we go in and we treat right at that time and we we give them an on-pasture treatment to kill those parasites, those animals are, are going to be cleaned up and they're not going to be shedding very much eggs for the rest of that season. Now, they will still pick up some of the larvae, and they'll get reinfected again, so they're not going to be clean coming off pasture. That pasture is going to be cleaned up. I've seen so many different times where we've had screaming high parasite burdens out on pasture, and we've uh, we've done the prescribed dose, so I go out and I test really high parasite levels. We do an on-pasture treatment, and then from there... Uh, we go and we retest. There's no parasites to be found. And the next, the next spring when we come back and we're ready to do another test uh, at that four to five weeks post-pasture turnout, that pasture's cleaned up. Like, we don't have to treat anymore. Now, we always have to test to make sure. But yeah, once, once I've treated some of the pastures, it seems like the parasite problem just goes away. So that's what I mean by like a strategic, strategic parasite control strategy by timing it appropriately and properly we can certainly decrease the overall populations that are out there the economics of it okay so like i said it is not cheap like a a dose of of ivamec would be 50 cents to 70 cents depending on the animal so ivamec is extremely affordable in terms of a parasite control strategy um but we can't put poor on 
Ivermec when we're out on pasture unless we have like crop duster. <laughs> Don't try it, anybody. You guys down in Montana, please do not try Ivermec crop dusters. I, I beg you. It it won't work. I pr- you, you'll kill your collie dog. You don't want to kill your collie dog. You might kill your kids. Okay, so <laughs> the the fenbendazole, the the safeguard treatment, uh, that one, depending on your animal. So I, I hate quoting prices to the like the public, but so I'll give a range. Okay, so a, a parasite control strategy for a yearling let's say it weighs 363 kilograms it's probably going to run you around three dollars including the mineral cost because there's also that free choice mineral in there okay so three dollars the cow at that 1700 pound uh, cow calf unit is probably going to be around five dollars and 70 cents so let's just say like six dollars to round it off Uh, it's going to be a six dollar treatment so you got your your three dollar treatment or your six dollar treatment just depends how much animal that you're going to be that you're going to be treating so that's a significant investment so on a hundred cows that's that's a lot of money I, I panicked and didn't do the math. That's what did I say? Three dollars. So yeah, three hundred dollars. Good job, Cody. Don't do math. Only do vet med. I was terrible at math in school. I'm still terrible at math. Anyways, I'm keeping up. So not an inconsequential amount of money. What type of return on investment can that be? So if you looked at all of the analysis, uh, if you looked at grass cattle or if you looked at cow-calf, we'll stick with cow-calf in this example. So if you had a moderate to high parasite burden, so if you had a moderate parasite burden, you could, if you looked at all the cow-calf data across the U.S. and Canada, it's probably about 20 pounds of extra weaned calf, okay? Uh, certainly if it's a low infection intensity and you do uh, treatment, you're going to have less of a net benefit. And if it's a really high infection intensity and you do a treatment, it's going to be a greater net benefit. So I saw some studies that were up to 90 pounds of extra wean calf because they had screaming high parasite levels. I think that one was in Mississippi. No offense, Mississippi, but you got some nasty parasites down there. Yeah. But, but your vet students are spectacular. Hey, Tommy. <laughs> um, so 20 pounds. Not insignificant, right? Now, when I just do, I'll do my cowboy math. I don't want to do full economic analysis, but how much does 20 pounds get you at the market? And uh, yeah, you're going to have like a sliding price scale that spread based off of how heavy those calves are. But let's just let's just go easy on me and say it's a dollar. OK, calves don't cost a dollar. Calves are like two dollars. But let's just say it's a dollar. You get 20 pounds, you get 20 dollars and your investment was that five dollars and 70 cents. That's pretty good. And there's some added benefit as well. Uh, There's certainly some research out there that shows that you can have an increase in conception rate of 10% uh, based off of moderate to high infection intensity in your cows. So your conception rate can go up. And then you just have general herd health. Uh, You have an improved immune system for those animals to be able to fight disease. You have an improved immune system for those calves coming off out of pasture where they're not fighting a high infection. Infection intensity of uh, of parasites, and they're able to 
divert those resources and those uh those antibodies towards fighting stuff like viral pneumonia and bacterial pneumonia so overall health can certainly be improved by making sure that we are being strategic about our our parasite control strategy um even if even if it's just a couple pounds of extra wean calf uh, we're doing we're doing a lot of benefit, right? We are getting that return on investment back by just getting even a couple pounds of extra wean calf, uh, but but we're also potentially increasing that conception rate and we're cleaning up our pastures, so we might not need to treat in the subsequent years. So the gist of it is always test. Oh, I get to talk about my composite testing method. Okay, so always test and then base your treatment based off of testing. Now there's going to be some guys that. Uh, have had remarkable results with it. I have producers that I can't talk out of doing an on-pasture treatment. They did a one year. They saw spectacular results. They say they've weaned calves a hundred pounds heavier the year, first year they ever did a pasture treatment. Uh, so they're never going to go back. There's no amount of convincing that I'm going to be able to do. Uh, they're going to want to do that. Uh, and there's just going to be, you know, different situations where guys just get behind and they would just rather, you know, roll the dice and, and do a pasture treatment because they just don't have time to do that, the testing. So you guys remember I said I send students out every summer for like the last three years to, to pick up poop and then send those off to a lab. So that wasn't cheap, right? That cost a significant amount of money that, that we weren't charging the producer we were just trying to figure out this parasite problem out so we didn't charge for our students to come out and collect and we didn't even charge for the sampling the lab that we were sending it to the, the test was around thirty dollars and we were taking about 20 fecal samples per farm so that was six hundred dollars worth of testing that we were doing and not including all the processing and everything else to just to get an answer of whether or not these producers had a, a low, moderate, or high uh, infection intensity within their cows. So uh, when it was low, we weren't going to treat. When it was moderate, we were considering treating. And when it was high, we just had to treat because the economic losses would just be too high. So then I started thinking about how am I going to convince producers to do this after I can't afford to send a, a veterinary student out and can't afford all the lab testing. And I didn't think that producers would want to spend that $600 investment uh, into their herd just to get an answer of whether or not they should spend more money for, for treatment. So I had to come up with a, a, simpler and cheaper but still accurate and valuable option now what i came up with well i thought i came up with it but on further review of the literature somebody had done a trial way back about doing a fecal composite in cattle now composite fecal testing has been uh, done in sheep quite regularly uh, it has been done in horses to some extent but there was no validated test in cattle so i actually put together a a project proposal uh, for some research dollars for me to go ahead and try to get this validated composite technique together and like after I submitted the proposal in a veterinary or veterinary parasitology magazine or journal uh, that in the same month 
a research team came out with a validated fecal composite testing technique. So I got scooped. But that's okay, because I'm a better veterinarian than I am a researcher, and I was just happy to have the answer. So I have the answer. There was this really nice paper that was published in validating that you can mix uh, poop together in a particular manner and get a composite result that was accurate, uh, statistically accurate in comparison to you doing a fecal egg count as individuals and summing those numbers up and getting an average. So I was happy with that. So that's what we're doing this year. Uh, we're following a somewhat modified approach to this this trial work. Uh, we did this last year, kind of validating their validation, and we're extremely happy with the results. So what we do is we put together this cute little uh, fecal egg count uh, collection package for our producers. It has all of the information. It has a set of gloves. It has a, a urine cup for the poop to go into, and these uh, cute little spoons that we got off the internet. They're like little disposable measuring spoons and the producer is going to go out and they're going to take 15 samples uh, from an individual pasture from cows and calves and they're that the feces has to be fresh so still warm uh, preferentially if it's not still warm and there's like a crust on it the 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 egg count can actually go down because the larvae are already starting to hatch. Uh, they hatch once they're they're exposed to air. So the fresher, the better. The higher uh, real answer we're probably going to get, the more eggs we're going to see. So they'll do 15 into their sample cup, and then they'll ship that off to us, and then we charge them $50 to do a composite, which, yes, is not free, uh, but we still have to cover our supplies and our time to do this this composite analysis. So then we do this specific mixing technique, and then we do a fecal flotation, and we get them an answer on whether or not they have a low or no infection intensity, moderate infection intensity, or high infection intensity. So $50. I think is a very good compromise. Remember I said it costs $600 just to get a single pasture tested, not including our time of collection. So I think that's economical. I think that's worth it for producers to take the time and effort for them to go and get an answer on whether or not they need to treat out on pasture. Uh, I I don't know if I'm going to be able to come up with a simpler way to do it besides if somebody comes up with some great technology to do a shoot side or to do it right on pasture, which there is is uh there's potentially coming down the road they have it in horses i'll just describe it a little bit so you take a, a piece of poop you take a little bit of feces and you mix it with this reagent this i think it's like a fluorescing agent now you mix it together you wait a few minutes or whatever and you put in this little contraption and then you put your smartphone that's running an app into this little contraption i think it might have a little bit of a magnifying glass and your phone's camera is able to pick up on the fluorescing eggs and do a real-time fecal egg count using your phone it's spectacular so i think they're gonna have it in cows one day um i don't know economically you'd have to do an individual test so i don't know how cheap it's going to be i think for horses it was around like ten dollars or maybe twenty dollars per sample but yeah technology will certainly help us out i guess to bring it like full circle 
I really wish we had a better way in the feed yards as well to be able to determine whether or not loads of cattle coming in to uh, into the feed yard do need treatment or not. Because once they are in the chute, we have to we have to have an answer. Uh, we could potentially treat them in feed. Lots of feedlots have the ability to do it in feed after the fact. So we certainly could put products like Safeguard in their feed after the fact. But I really like the thought of coming up for this fall, uh, now that I have this composite method together, is going in and taking some samples of those animals or getting the, the cowboys to take samples of those animals as they're being processed and us doing a composite. And I'd like to actually see that as commonplace that every day we do a composite of, of pens as they're coming in and I have a, a composite fecal egg count uh, for each individual pen to allow me to make some management decisions of those animals uh, in real time or near real time as possible. I, I like that. Okay, is there anything else that I have to say about parasites? I do. Okay. And I'm sorry, I didn't want it, this to be like really heavily weighted. And I always stay as far away as possible from talking about like pharma companies and brand names and stuff like that. But like it's, uh, there, there is some, some other options. What is it called? Panicure. I think that's albendazole. It's just not used as commonly in, in Western Canada. So I guess that's just why I default to fembendazole. It's just what I'm used to. So I'm not trying to shill for the pharma companies. It's just, it's just what I use. Seems to be the most convenient and price effective, at, le at least in my practice. Um, okay, I might as well talk about a little bit about long range as well. If I'm going to talk about pharmaceuticals, might as well just rip the Band-Aid off. So Long Range is a product. It's been available in the U.S. for a while. It's been available in Canada for a year and a half. It's a long-acting two-stage uh, epinectin. So it's like um, in the Ivamec category, the the uh, same sort of family as Ivamec. It's an injectable product, and it has this kind of like protein polymer matrix that, that's in it. So you give the cow a sub-Q injection, and they get a dose of dewormer. And then that polymer dissolves after, I think, like 90 days, and you get another dose of that active ingredient. So it then deworms those animals again. So I think this is a viable option for producers that are worried about uh, high pasture parasite levels. You could give this to those animals at t pasture turnout, and then they're effectively taken care of and treated throughout the entire year. That product on a per animal basis is a little bit more expensive for sure, uh, but but you don't have any sort of management in terms of taking a product out to um, a, a mineral bin and putting this kind of treated mineral in or feeding out a, a different strategy, like if you were doing the, the, the medicated cubes or the medicated pellets. So that, that is an option, uh, I think, especially in calves, like, like little calves and yearling cattle. Um, from a price perspective on a big mature cow, I think the price gap is just too big. Uh, it takes a, a bigger volume and, and it would be fairly, um, a, a fairly good cost. But I do know that producers down in the States are using it in their entire herd, especially in places where the parasite burden is quite high. <coughs> Cough, Mississippi. I, 
I don't know if they're using it in Mississippi, just in some of the places. So I've heard with with phenomenal results. And I think that it's not on label, but there was this uh, bulletin out of Kansas State on this product long range and fly control. And it looked like it did show that there was some fly control associated with using this kind of two stage long acting uh, epinectin in in cattle. So I'm all for fly control. I like that. I do have some producers that use the product and and so far they seem to be happy. So while we're on the topic of prevention and treatment, I have a book. I have a book from 1917. The, it, it's a treatment of disease book. What is this thing called? I have it in front of me. A System of Veterinary Medicine. Volume 2. Oh, I just lost my page. From 1915. Okay, so the story from this book is first year of veterinary school. I saw this cart of all these really old-looking books. And I love the history of veterinary medicine. I have read every history of veterinary medicine book I've ever been able to get my hands on. So I saw this there, but I was a super poor student. And... I kept staring at this cart and days would go by and all these beautiful old books were there. And all of a sudden I saw these two guys roll up one day into my library and they grabbed as many books as possible. Like they just like kept bringing stacks and stacks over for the librarian to scan through and they were for sale and they were buying all of these old texts. And I just thought that was like a reoccurring thing that I would have my chance over and over again as they would just like clean out old texts from the library. I never saw any go for sale again, but I ran up and when they weren't looking, I grabbed and bought this, this textbook. So this textbook from 1915. And my general impression, so I wanted to look up the parasites, like what they talked about parasites in 1915 and it's spectacular so my general impressions were the their ability to do like taxonomy and classification and like description of all the various species of parasites was phenomenal like i find that too with anatomy like they were really good at anatomy they they had dissected and described a lot of the the muscles and the bones and and their anatomy was top-notch and their parasitology their description of parasitology i think was top-notch for the time they were very good at observation and describing the treatments on the other hand i couldn't even imagine recommending some of these treatments and i know maybe there's somebody in what, what year is it right now okay so it's like 103 years later so there's going to be some jackass veterinarian in the year 2118 that is going to be judging on me for all the things that I practiced uh, and treated with back in the day. They're going to be like, and then they used an antibiotic in the... I don't even know what category that is because we don't use antibiotics anymore. Let me look it up. Oh my goodness, it was a fluoroquinolone. How atrocious. Like, I don't know why I defaulted to a British accent there. Obviously, everybody in the future is going to be British. Um, at least in Canada, when we get invaded again. Okay. But there's a treatment for 
lungworm and I, and I haven't been talking about lungworm at all. That's like a different conversation, but I want to bring up the treatment for lungworm first. So they had, where is this? The, the prevention was a fumigation using a combination. Okay, here it is using a combination of chlorine gas. So fumigation, meaning as a treatment, they would lock up their cows and their horses into a barn and then they would boil a vat of chlorine to get a bunch of chlorine gas. And then they would also add terpene in like turpentine and tobacco smoke. So they would get this, like they would hot box these horses and these cows in a barn. And they said they knew it was, it was like, they were treated long enough when the handler, so they actually had a person in there, couldn't stand it anymore. So there's a person in there with chlorine gas and turpentine being boiled with tobacco smoke. And they said the reason that they did it was to get the animals coughing so hard that they would cough the lungworms out. Yeah, good job, guys. Okay. And then for the, the, the nematodes, like the, the nematodes, the parasites that we've been talking about now, the ones that have, uh, you know, these economic implications, these small worms that are in the intestines, not tapeworms, not lungworms, these, these nematodes, they had a few different treatment options. So I'll read you number one. So this one is quoted as, the following powder has been used with varying degrees of success. There was like no such thing as evidence-based medicine. This was like as good and as smart as they were at classification. They were horrendous at physiology and pharmacology. Okay. In this powder, you would have acid arsenii, arsenic acid, Sodium chloride, okay. P ferry sulfate. I think that's a plant. No, that's not a plant. That's iron sulfate. And then they had uh, Noxus arcanae. So that's an arsenic containing plant. And then they had another plant called Nox vomica. So they call it Noxus vom. Bomb, V-O-M. So I looked that up. That's Nox vomica. That's a strychnine containing plant. Like strychnine is like one of the craziest toxins ever. Have you ever seen like a video of a dog dying of strychnine? It's scarring. So arsenic, chloride, sulfur, and uh, strychnine. Then you take all that powder and that makes you a 30 powders. I don't know what the unit of a powder is. And you give that to a sheep, one powder daily to a sheep or a cow to clear them out with parasites. Now, they throw the colonies under the bus here. Not hydrate colonies, the colonies. So it says copper sulfate is extensively used in the colonies and so are some of the arsenic-containing sheep dips. So this author Dodd recommends that uh, you take copper sulfate. Those American colonies, maybe maybe Canada was Canada in here. You consider Canada a colony? I guess he would have. Okay, you take copper sulfate, four ounces, 
fresh mustard, four ounces. It's got to be fresh. Mix well with rainwater, three gallons. It's got to be rainwater. It can't be river water. Maybe there's, I don't know, maybe rainwater's, yeah, it would be soft water, not groundwater. I don't know. And then you dissolve that in an enamel bucket. It specifically says an enamel bucket. Uh, the dose for calves is to uh, to give them two ounces. So, how often? After a 24-hour fast, no water allowed. And then you drench them again. Four ounces. The last one was a suspension where you take oil of Cade. Oh, I looked up Cade now. I forget what it was. C-A-D-E. Oil of turpentine. And 90% alcohol. Very good. And then the last part. It says tobacco has been used by a number of practitioners either in green green state or dry but its employment is not very considerable. I remember my grandpa telling me back in the day that he used to like deworm his horses with pounded tobacco. That's, yeah, that's good medicine. Could you imagine? I don't know. They had what they had. I shouldn't be so judgy, but it's just so crazy to read. I love this book. Um, I will give them props though that they did very much talk about the other things that can be done for control of, of parasites. So a rich and abundant diet is always important. Uh, keeping the animals in a bale yard where feces can be properly destroyed and the food given from non-infected uh, mangers is advisable. So like they were, they knew that management was important and that's the same with us. And I didn't really talk about that, but it's a hundred percent true. Uh, proper rotational grazing, holistic management, uh, having those animals cleaned up before they go in, having those animals as healthy as possible. All those things are going to contribute to their natural ability to, to deal with parasites. It's even uh, like a genetic component. Some animals are just genetically better at controlling parasites. So we certainly don't want to rely on pharmaceuticals only. Uh, we want to make sure those animals are able to take care of those parasite burdens as best possible by themselves. And if there's anything we can do from a management perspective, then of course we're going to facilitate that. So they had it They had it right. <laughs> While I'm just talking about it, there was in this history book in I think it was like in the 1600s there was a reference to how to treat a horse with pneumonia and they said you take a live puppy this is veterinarians this is like a veterinary textbook you take a live puppy because because dogs didn't count as animals back then only horses were like most of veterinary medicine in its early inception was just for the treatment of horses and the other species didn't count because they, uh, they didn't have jobs. Horses were like transportation and war machines. Right. So you would sacrifice a live puppy. You would take a live puppy and you would boil that in turpentine until it was a tar. I don't know why the puppy had to be live. And then you have a puppy tar and you pour that in a horse's ear and that's supposed to treat the pneumonia. 
I'll leave you with that. Okay, guys, thank you so much for uh, for dropping by and learning all about parasites. If you guys have any questions or if I left anything out or if you want me to talk about something on a different podcast, please send me an email or message. Um, I answer all my all my things. So if you want to DM me on the Facebook or the Instagram, send me a snap or uh, an old-fashioned email, Cody at CodyCroma.com. Okay, guys, take care.